0: Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. I'm going to do something a little different tonight in terms of what all we're going to accomplish. We we finished what we needed to do in terms of the doctrine of revelation, and we're going to be moving to specifically deal with the doctrine of God. But given that we're having a church conference and there's some other things I wanted to give you some updates on, we're not going to dive into the doctrine of God tonight because I want to make sure to begin where we have sufficient time uh, to give to that first part of the study. So I'm going to give you some updates on where we've been with the conversation regarding elders at our church and that, that potential change in structure. Uh, so I'm going to give you some updates for that in, in just a moment, and then I'm going to share a little bit from my heart of some things that I've been thinking about and praying about this past week in my own life, uh, and I'll share that with you kind of in a devotional thought as we close. Before I share with you some some thoughts that I have on my mind regarding uh, a potential polity change at our church, I'm going to recognize Steve Melton. He chairs our deacons, uh, and he and I have had conversations about this particular process for a number of months. And we've also had this conversation among our deacons for a number of months. So Steve's going to come share with you for just a second. He's got something on his heart along these lines, and then I'll come back and fill you in on a few specific details. Steve?
1: Pastor, and good evening again. I wanted to share—I asked the the pastor for the opportunity to share with you the same comments that I shared in the deacons' meeting— a little over a month ago in March on uh, my personal thoughts on uh, a plurality of elders for our church. When we began discussing this as a diaconate, uh, I decided that I wanted to search the scriptures. There's at least 15 scripture passages, uh, many of them in Acts and Timothy and Titus, uh, at least 15 passages and i read those multiple times and i read all the footnotes and studied the footnotes in my bible and since then i have read two books on elders in 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 churches and how how they work and how it would work in our church and after much prayer and seeking god's guidance i sincerely believe that it would be uh, the better leadership structure for our church, a plurality of elders, would be a better leadership structure than what we currently have. I'd like to share some of those reasons with you if I may. Number one, it's clearly biblical. You know, I I read it multiple times and it's clearly in the Bible that the early church had a plurality of elders, a number of elders, and uh, many of them were lay elders. The second reason is it's highly effective in the early church and how fast and how great the early church grew with that structure. The third point that comes to my mind is our church health long term. And when I speak of our church health, I'm talking beyond my generation and many years from now, 30 and 40 years from now, I really believe it would be the best structure for our church. And another thing I'd like to share with you is, as as deacon chairman, and many of you in this room have served as deacon chairman, and you served as deacon officers, and we've we've had that insight to the heavy weight of responsibility and the heavy burden of responsibility that our pastor shares and carries. We've had little insights into that, and we don't know all the things that he knows, but the things that we do know, we know that there's a heavy weight of responsibility. And I really believe it would help to have others to share that burden and weight of responsibility and shepherd in the flock. And the the last reason is accountability. Uh, We have a pastor who has has said to us recently that he wants to to share the decision-making. He doesn't want to make all the decisions on his own, and this setup would ensure sharing decision making and leadership, and it would offer an opportunity for holding others accountable on a daily and weekly basis. Uh, we've had three lengthy discussions in the, in the deacons' meetings, and they've been wonderful discussions. and been lots of great questions asked, and. I can tell you that there is significant support for lay elders uh, as well as deacons and a very close work in the relationship between the two. We had the opportunity, as our pastor mentioned, to spend half a day from 8 o'clock till noon on a Saturday with a visiting minister who has uh, elders in his church. And I think we asked him about every possible question. We could ask him about how it worked, how they did things, uh, about what their working relationships were, about uh, lay elders versus pastors, what they did. And it was a wonderful exchange we had that day. And uh, it, this reassured me of what I'd already read and prayed about. So in closing, I'd just like to say again that I support a plurality of elders as our leadership model. And I would like to ask each of you to continue to pray with me about uh, this change. It would require change in our bylaws. And uh, I do believe this would greatly benefit our church in the long run. So thank you for this opportunity.
0: Since I've uh, been here at wilkes Baptist, I've had the, the privilege to, to lead or participate in some pretty significant changes in our church's life. One you're sitting in. Uh, when I walked in the door, uh, the staff and the deacons handed me a committee that said, we're going to renovate the sanctuary. And uh, I said, what? Um, you know, walking in the door. And uh, you're, the church not only proved faithful in funding the renovation of the sanctuary, which is completely paid off, But it was a tremendously fruitful opportunity for me to work with some other church members in that process of change that has been very well received. In fact, uh, thinking back on it and looking at the pandemic, I'm not entirely sure what we would have done technologically in the pandemic without having a renovated sanctuary. You can look at Tad. Ask Tad what what that would have been like. And he doesn't even want to think about the, the difficulties in a previous Technological format being able to pull off what we're able to pull off. So we're grateful for that. A few years after that, uh, we restated our mission, uh, leading our neighbors in the nations to follow Jesus. And we have made sure that our programming and our focus and our emphasis is on making sure that we make disciples in all of our programs and in all of our windows. Uh, and then this process of leading us to a plurality of elders is another step, not only in that mission process but in helping us be healthy as a congregation uh, for, for a long period of time. The pandemic is part of what brought this on in my own life, as I've shared with you in a sermon a few weeks back. I won't repeat all of that. I don't need to give all those reasons again. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon in March if you'd like more of those specific details. But just the weight of all of the changes that took place the need for adjustments, adjustments on a quick uh, turnaround, making sure that people were cared for, the variety of services that we have, and the variety of people in all the different directions, uh, have led me to go back and look at what the Scripture teaches about a plurality of elders. And I believe that the Scripture is abundantly clear that churches shouldn't be led by a pastor or be led by deacons, or be led by uh, a finance committee, or be led by—and you fill in the blank— I I think the Bible indicates that a plurality of elders is the practice for biblical leadership in the life of the church. And so I I spent about a year, or about 18 months really, having conversations with deacons about this talked last year with Randy Whittington and with Dustin Deal, and talked last year with Steve Melton, talked with some of our previous deacon chairmen last year, and we began having these conversations and thinking about what is next. We had these conversations in deacons meetings, because that's the current structure and model for any kind of decision-making change happening in our church, works through the deacons, and then comes back through the congregation. So we've had all of those convers- uh, we've had a lot of those conversations. The workshop was hosted by Garrett Kale. Uh, his wife Carrie grew up in our church. Garrett pastors Delray Baptist outside of Alexandria, Virginia. He leads the church with a plurality of elders, and he offered some suggestions and a model that doesn't fit our church exactly, but offers some ideas and some suggestions that I think we're going to look at what happens next. Some of you, after hearing me preach, have talked with me about this. You've asked questions. You've read some of the material I've shared. And I just want to make myself available, any of you that have any questions about any change that we're considering making, I'm happy to go to lunch with you, to get a cup of coffee with you, to meet with you in my office, answer any questions or concerns, because the reality is we've not done it this way this particular way before. Even though our history at Wilkesboro Baptist started with a plurality of elders all the way back in 1880, uh, it wasn't too long after that that our structure essentially became the Baptistic model of a senior pastor and a deacon board or a diaconate, uh, and, and that's pretty much the structure that we've had since then. So I'm happy to talk with you about any potential changes that we'll make. What does that mean? What does that look like? Try to answer any questions that you may have. What does that look like? Where do we go from here? Well, the reality is before we could do anything differently, our bylaws need to be revised. And so the, the process for any change that we would make would be in a revision of bylaws. So what I've recommended that we do is I work with the Spiritual Emphasis Committee of the deacons, which is Lee Bentley, who served as a previous deacon chair. John Snyder is on that committee as well as Mac McGinnis is on that committee. I've asked that committee, the Spiritual Emphasis Committee, along with Deacon Chair Steve Melton and Finance Chair James Sullivan, to work with me in revising our church bylaws to reflect what a plurality of elders would look like in the life of Wilkesboro Baptist Church. The kind of goal for that is to spend the next several months working on that, what that revision would look like, us working on it as a committee, and then at some point in the late summer or early fall, my, my, my personal goal would be in August, bring that revision of bylaws back before the church for your uh, affirmation, your vote, your, your, your disapproval. The authority in terms of decision-making in the life of the church doesn't rest with me or the deacons. Remember that it rests with you as a congregation. And so bring that back before the congregation in August. And that particular revision of bylaws would lay out the specifics of the nomination process for elders, etc., and, and those details. Uh, All those details have not been worked out. I can give you some ideas, some things we're thinking about, but we haven't put it down on paper to say this is exactly what it does look like. If you have more questions and would like some more specifics, let me give you a couple of ways to get at those. For about the last six weeks or so, I've taken the, the message that I present to you in the Beacon, and I've put it on a blog post on my personal blog website, chrishefner.org, and for about I've given you five different reasons for changing our polity. And, and that's more the sermon I wrote and the sermon I preached along with some other ideas. I would encourage you to read that. If you'd like some more resources, we've still got some books available, uh, a handful of books available that we can share with you and talk about what does a plurality of elders look like. And as I've mentioned before, I'm happy to talk with you bet, about any questions. Questions That you may have regarding uh, what that could look like. One question that should be on your mind is who can serve as an elder? Pretty important question because I believe in the life of our church there needs to be lay elders and staff elders that would help functionally lead the church to lead others to follow Jesus to accomplish our mission. Um, If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and also Titus chapter 1, those are the two specific sections of Scripture that detail the specific qualifications for serving as an elder. Uh, The the Bible is pretty clear that an elder or a pastor in the congregation should be a male. And so when you think about nominations going forward, Scripture is clear about that. Should be a male who is nominated. I will say this: I'm about 99.9 percent certain that the nominations for those serving as elders would come from the congregation, and then would be vetted by the elders that are currently on our staff. So myself and Tad uh, would would vet those elders and elder nominations to see whether they're qualified, because there does need to be a qualification system, right, for those that would serve in that capacity. Vince is shaking his head. Vince has served as a pastor; he understands. And so that nomination would come from the congregation but be vetted and then presented back. So who should you nominate? Well, somebody who fits the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. What's fascinating about both of those sections of Scripture is neither of those sections of Scripture demand that the person be a professional. What I mean by that is they don't have to have a seminary education. Now, a seminary education is fantastic. I got two of them. And I I am grateful for all of the training that I received. I'm grateful for that. But in the New Testament, when elders were raised up in the church that was growing faster than any church in our neck of the woods is growing, they didn't have seminary training. It wasn't for professionals. It was for those who were set apart and called by God to serve in the capacity of leading a congregation. So, an elder in a church, a pastor in a church, doesn't have to be professionally trained. They can be. I am, and I'm grateful for that. It doesn't necessarily have to be. So, there's a, a level of responsibility on you as a congregation member for thinking through who should be serving in a lay elder role or even a staff elder role, in uh, thinking about who that should be nominated, who should be nominated to those roles, and who should be affirmed in those roles. So I'm just going to be honest with you. Some of the pressure rests back on you as a congregation member to help us navigate what that could look like in the life of our church. What would an elder do? What would a lay elder do? Uh, Well, they would pastor the church. They would shepherd the church. What does that mean? Well, it means they would care for people in the church. They would visit people who need a visit, pray with people who needed to be prayed with. They would help me make sure that those we're ministering to within the congregation and within our community hear the gospel, have an opportunity to respond to Jesus, and grow as disciples. I mean, the reality is our mission is to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. If I'm the only one in our church that's making disciples, then our church is not being effective in making disciples. Do you know who needs to make disciples? Well, all of us do. But the elder team, body, board, whatever we call them at some point in the future, they're going to help facilitate that process in the life of the church. At least that's what I would envision them doing. They will hold us accountable too. I I wish I could tell you, well, I don't want to tell you. But there are... Too often, pastors and church leaders get out of kilter because they don't do what I'm going to preach on Sunday from 1 Timothy chapter 4. They don't pay attention to their doctrine, and they don't pay attention to the way that they behave. They don't pay attention to the morality that is within their lives, the purity that they are hold on to, and they don't pay attention to the way that they think and believe about Scripture. A plurality of elders is designed biblically to be the accountability structure for the pastoral leadership in the life of the church. I mean, certainly if you think I've gone awry in what I teach or in how I behave, you should call me out on that. But in an accountability structure of a plurality of elders, those lay elders and those staff elders would be able to have equal weight to look at me and say, hey, listen, what you said there isn't biblically accurate or the way you're behaving there isn't as godly as it ought to be. And currently, our structure, our leadership structure of a senior pastor with staff and with deacons doesn't function in a way to hold the, the, the pastor accountable. It can, but it doesn't function in that capacity. And so part of the reason for wanting that change is uh, accountability, church health, raising up leaders not only for today but for decades from now. So that's just an update. If you have more questions, uh, I'm available to talk to you tonight. I'm available to talk to you uh, any other time. Let me share very quickly from my heart something that I've been wrestling with. Uh, In transitioning from the doctrine of revelation, which is how we know who God is, how God has revealed himself to us, to the doctrine of God, doctrine of theology proper, which is God revealing himself to us. Who is God? And I'm just going to make a confession to you. I love knowledge. I love studying and reading and research. I get some of the most joy in ministry from preparing a sermon and preaching it to you as a congregation. I love that. But all too often, what happens in my own life is I share what I know cognitively without being as close to the Lord personally as I should be. A little anecdote, my mom loved the Lord deeply, and she had some things that happened in her life as a young adult and even as an older adult that caused her some very significant spiritual trouble. One of the things that got her through that was her personal time with the Lord. And my mom was not a great theologian. She didn't. She couldn't have read and dealt with some of the great theological topics that, that, that have piqued my interest. But I'll tell you something about my mom. She knew the Lord. She and the Lord had a close, intimate, personal relationship day by day. And one of the things God's convicted me about, particularly from that Easter sermon I preached uh, about 10 days ago or so, where Paul said he wanted us, he prayed that we would know the Lord epignosis, the idea of a deep personal knowledge. It's not just what we know about, that we can discuss things doctrinally, but who we know personally. One of the things I've been wrestling with is how do I make sure that I know the Lord, that when I sit down and study, I'm not just looking at the Bible for something I'm going to share with you, or I'm not just uh, looking at praying a prayer for how it's going to affect your life and in and, 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 and intercession, although those are tremendously important things that I must do. How do I know the Lord? And I jotted some things down from some verses of scripture I've read in the last couple of days. One comes out of Psalm 38, verse 10. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, And the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. The psalmist continues, My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand afar off. I read that this week in my devotions, and I was reminded of my conversion experience. Uh, that, That week before I came to know Jesus, I was throbbing with spiritual anxiety about my lost condition. I experienced a period of conviction. I read that it's a reminder to me in reading scripture that God knows me knew where I was and he points out to us in the pages of scripture things that he wants us to know about himself in chapter 39 verses 4 and 5 I read this from the psalmist "O Lord make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days let me know how fleeting I am Behold, you've made my days a few handbreadths. My lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. The reality sets in, if we're honest with ourselves, that folks, no matter how long we live, it's not very long. It's a fleeting moment in human history. And what is it about our lives that's really going to matter? It's the part of our lives that knows the God if He lives eternally. That's what matters. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it this way, and I'll reflect on this next week, as we begin to talk about the doctrine of God. What is the chief end of man? It is to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. If there's one thing that you and I can take away every time we gather as a body of believers, if there's one thing we can take away... It's the opportunity that we have to meet with God and to know God more intimately and know God better. How do we do that? Let me offer three very quick applications. I promise I won't take long with these. They're alliterated, so you might remember them. Tad, I'm sorry, they're alliterated. They're alliterated. Here's the first one. Look around. Look around. See God at work. I was reading in uh, one in the new living translation of Psalm 37:23 the lord directs the steps of the godly he delights in every detail of our lives This past week, our family made a trip to Louisiana to see my wife's family. Those of you that don't know, she's from Hammond, Louisiana. Her mom lives in Alexandria. My sister-in-law, Jean's sister, lives in Natchitoches, Louisiana. And uh, my mother-in-law is getting to that stage in life where trips here are fewer and far between. And so every year, we make a trek down to Louisiana to see her family. Every year, we pray for traveling safety and mercy and protection. And God answered those prayers in our travels this past week. And as I read that verse in devotions with my boys this week, it's just a reminder that the Lord delights in every detail of our lives. I promise you, if you'll look around at the circumstances that surround you, the prayers that you pray, scriptures you read, if you'll look around and just pay attention, one of the things God will do in His graciousness and His mercy is He'll show you how He's involved in the very details of your life. So look around. Uh, secondly, let God hear. I means pray. If you want to know God more, pray that you'll know God more. If there's something going on in your life that's not as it ought to be, pray. Let God know. Do you know what God delights in? He delights in the prayers of his people. So talk to God about what's going on. And then finally, Listen. Listen to God speak. I've mentioned this before. I'll probably mention it to such a degree that you'll get annoyed at me mentioning it. God wants to talk to you. And maybe, and sometimes God can talk in a mystical sense through the Holy Spirit in our own soul and heart. I don't deny that. But God's primary means of talking to us is this right here. Listen to God speak i tell you this, a lot of times I read the Bible for my study. There are a lot of times I read the Bible for sermons. Sometimes I read the Bible for answers. But every time I read the Bible, every time I read the Bible for God to speak to me, every time I do, God speaks to me. I don't always listen. Neither do you, if you're honest. But you know what? When we read the Bible as if God is talking directly to us, That's how we know God. That's the means by which we can know God better, more accurately, more certainly, and certainly the means by which we can hear God speak to us and give us direction and insight and guidance. I'm going to belabor that point in the coming weeks as we talk about the doctrine of God. How do we know God? Well, we know God based on what he's told us in Scripture about himself, Um, You got it easy tonight. You got my heart. Next week, we're going to talk about the interplay between theology and philosophy. And so, I want you to bring your thinking caps next week. I'm going to give you some definitions of some things that do interact with one another. And then we're going to see what the Bible has to say about who God is. And we could spend every Wednesday night for the rest of your life and my life, and we will not exhaust the doctrine of God. So we're going to cut it off after a few weeks. We're going to spend several weeks on it, cover the things that I think are most important for us to deal with in our own church context and congregation. But I just want you to know we're going to begin that next Wednesday night. Thank you for being here. Let me offer a closing prayer, and we'll be finished. Father, thank you for the privilege to gather and to be a part of your church family. We pray that you would guide and direct our steps and our decisions, help us to honor and glorify you, help us be faithful to you in all things. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would show us yourself, your glory, and your goodness. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.